The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hello, Rise Together listeners. It's Dave. Nice to have you back here on this, the second show of 2023. Uh, I thought today I would record a podcast that I want to listen to to remind myself of what I need to do to prepare for having the best holiday ever. Uh, because coming through this most recent holiday, uh, I'm just reminded of how great and at times how hard holidays can be. And so I want to talk about surviving the holidays, triggers around the holidays, family around the holidays, holidays after divorce. And um, like I said, I'm recording this as much for me to listen to in November of next year so that uh, I might prepare myself in the very, very best way to not just survive the holidays, but thrive through them. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience, Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. But before we get there, uh, I want to give a quick update on Mr. Jeffrey Hollis. I mean, we have had a harrowing experience over this last week of time with the greatest mini schnauzer to ever walk the face of the earth. Uh, if you are not familiar, Saturday, this past Saturday, just uh, a handful of days ago, I uh, got up and did the thing that I do on Saturdays with my younger two children. Uh, we took off for Taekwondo. Ford Hollis uh, has recently 
made his way to Yellow Belt. Congratulations to Ford. And so uh, I am standing in the Taekwondo studio. I happen to be having a conversation with another parent about life in Dripping Springs, Texas. And my phone rings. And if you've ever gotten a call from someone that you love when they use that tone of voice, you know that you will remember that call for a very, very long period of time. And that's the call that you don't want to get. And that was the phone call that I got from my oldest son, Jackson Hollis. Jackson had the night previous, had some friends spend the night. And as I took off for Taekwondo, he and his friends were making breakfast at the house. Let us go. Let's go. And I pick up the phone and he simply says, dad, you have to come home right now. And there is terror in his voice, and he is representing that Jeffrey has been in an accident of some kind, that uh, he got into it with the dogs that live next door, and that he is badly injured. So I you know, immediately grab Ford out of the class, jump in the car, start driving, and am having Ford help coordinate with Jackson, who, thank God, thank God, um, had one of his friend's parents picking her up at that exact moment where Jeffrey had been hurt. And so now his friend's father is able to drive them toward me so that we can find a way to get Jeffrey to the animal hospital as fast as possible. I have no concept at this point of what's happened. All I know is that Jackson's voice is terrified. It's serious and that we are now trying to meet each other in the middle so that we can get the dog to the hospital. It's about 12.08 p.m. when we meet at the uh, Dripping Springs Animal Hospital, and I only know that because it closed at noon. Of course it did. And so here we are. I pull up. I'm waiting. They are then turning into the parking lot, and as they arrive, I, for the first time, get to see the severity of what has happened. And... Uh, the look on Jackson's face. I mean, bless his heart. Like <laughs> this boy needed all of the hugs because he was witness to a thing that I now get, you know, explained to me that uh, Jeffrey was at the fence barking at, you know, the neighbor's dogs. One of the dogs reached its nose through the fence, clamped onto his neck and pulled him through the fence. And in doing so, tore his trachea, tore his neck muscles, tore some of his ch chest muscles. But at the time, like, again, I'm, I'm not aware of what's going on. Jackson is holding the dog on his lap. And when he lifts his head up to show me what's going on, his arm had been basically keeping the wound that is, of course, bleeding from, you know, being totally exposed. The only thing that you can see, the only thing that you can see is a jugular, the the big old vein just pumping in the like in the wind. Like there's nothing around it. It's just it's terrifying. And also in real time, you can see, oh my goodness, this dog is here because of a miracle. Like there is no other way to look at it. Every other thing around that jugular is gone. If it had been nicked, he'd be dead. So we find another animal hospital. It's 14, 15 minutes up the road. 
We drive up there, get him to the hospital. And in a weird way, I think it was a blessing in disguise, taking nothing away from the place that we go for our regular dog visits in Dripping Springs. This facility just in the outskirts of Austin was extraordinary. They had an amazing staff. You could tell just great equipment. And he was in good hands. And he needed good hands because of the severity of what was going on. And so as I came back, the doctor walks me through what's happening, but is also in the same breath representing, I don't even understand how this dog made it through this event, because with the severity of the injury, he shouldn't even be here. And I'm just like, you know, like all of a sudden there's um, this sense of, okay, yes, I can't believe he made it, but also is he going to make it? And um, he has to give us a little bit of a, uh, a kind of a warning, a cautious optimism that, um, that he's not out of the woods, that basically they're going to sedate him. They're going to give him some pain medicine. They're going to put a, a catheter in. They're going to, you know, like get him in a place where he can be immobilized. And then they're going to go in and check to see if there's any additional bleeding and if there's any other injury that maybe isn't presenting itself on the outside. But that ultimately he also has to not only survive surgery, he has to also survive the night. Um, you know, we wait in the waiting room for quite a bit of time. They basically tell us, like, you, at this point, you, you should go. Like, go clean up, like, rest, hug, you know, do the things that you need to do to recover from the trauma of this morning. We will give you a call when he's out of surgery. So, okay. So we head home, and it is it is such a wild thing. If you're a pet owner, I don't, like, I, I have never experienced, I've been so, so blessed in my life. I've been to very few funerals. I've had very few, very, very few like sudden traumatic things happen in my life. This was a, a surprising, I mean, I love Jeffrey, but it was a surprising amount of, of grief and worry and like almost like PTSD. Now we're waiting for a phone to ring. Will the phone ring with good or bad news? And all the while, right? Like, uh, as much as I was, I drove back to meet Jackson and the parent, I kept the younger kids in the car because I did not want them to see the severity of what had happened. And I, because I, the house was pretty close, as they drove to the hospital, I drove back, got in my minivan and, you know, left the younger kids with Sawyer at the house and, and then got back up to the hospital. So as I return from the hospital with Jackson. Jackson's shaken, but it's now like this responsibility of a parent to maintain a steadiness and a confidence with your younger children who, of course, love this freaking dog, but that also may not, you know, be perfectly equipped to handle the roller coaster of he's, you know, in serious condition. It's a thing he has to make it through the surgery, the not out of the woods nature of needing to make it through the night. So, you know, I'm putting on the calm face, the the happy face, uh, you know, I'm distracting with some uh, backyard barbecuing and playing football. And, um, and then we get the phone call. And it turns out that Jeffrey has made it through surgery. They, uh, you know, are feeling optimistic, but again, cautiously, he needs to now make it through the night. And um, of like any of the things that they could have given update wise, this was the best version of an update that they could give. So great. 
we're feeling good. Now we have to wait until the morning um, to, to hear more. As it turns out, that evening, God bless these people, they called to let us know that, man, he's progressing well. Um, the fact that he's alert, the fact that he was able to stand up on his own, the fact that he's, um, you know, eaten just a tiny bit of food. There was little markers that were saying, all right, like he's, he's in a good place and we feel good about his progress. So um, the next day they call, he's made more progress. The kids are feeling even better. God bless Jackson <laughs> on, on the night of, of the, you know, him getting hurt. I, I mean, I've, I don't know that I've ever had an embrace with my son that had as much emotion in it as the one as we were leaving the pet hospital because it was a thing for him to go through. And I just was so proud of the way that he maintained his composure and the way that he was brave in carrying Jeffrey. I mean, you know, like when this happened, he was walking up to the gate to let this friend of his and her dad out of our house. And then the attack happens. And after the neighbors get their dogs off of Jeffrey, Jackson hops the fence and then carries him back, you know, to the car that he, that he was able to do that, that he was able to, you know, maintain his composure the way that he was. I mean, everyone in the hospital even was like this kid holy cow, he is something to marvel at because at 15, he really held it together. He really kept, you know, all of it. Oh, I'm just so proud of him. But when we got back, um, his mom was coming back into town and I had, you know, been giving her, relaying updates to her as, uh, as the day was going on. And I said, hey, check in on this boy. He needs, you know, some extra love. And uh, God bless him. He got an opportunity to go and spend the night at mom's. He needed to have a little one-on-one -on -one time with mom. And I just, I was so grateful that that was a thing that availed itself to him so that um, he could be able to process all of what had happened in the day. Anyway, the long and the short of it is by Monday afternoon, Jeffrey was released from the hospital. He, uh, looks a little like Frankenstein. There are so many stitches and staples that are holding him together, but the kiddos went back to Rachel's on that Monday, which by the way, was her 40th birthday. Happy belated birthday to Rachel Hollis and the pictures that they've been sending, you know, it's like he's moving slow, but they are smothering him with love. He is well on the way to making a full recovery and is here by the grace of God. God. I mean, it's just an absolute miracle that he survived this ordeal. So uh, for everyone who sent a note and represented they were praying, I just, I can't thank you enough. He's a good boy. He's a lucky boy. Um, but certainly, uh, as was demonstrated by everyone in this community, he is a loved boy as well. And I just appreciate that so, so much. All right. Let's turn our attention to the holidays. We are coming out of the holidays, and you may be one of these people who just every single holiday has a killer holiday. Holidays are all roses, and I am envious of you <laughs> because um, that is not my experience. Holidays are really, really tough for me, and 
I I want I just I think I want to talk about it because I want to normalize if you're coming out of a holiday that felt tough or if in any way here we are right 12 days into the year there's a little um, residue from the or hangover from um, the experience of the holidays I just want to I want I want to make you feel normal because I am feeling it too uh, getting through a holiday getting through a holiday with family, getting through a holiday with kind of triggers that show up, getting through a holiday after divorce. I know half of you that are listening have had this experience of divorce and holidays, um, you know, divorce is hard. Holidays after divorce are just the hardest. And um, I just want to acknowledge like, hey, um, if you are having a hard experience, if you are coming out of something that felt heavy, if there's a little bit of a hangover from the heaviness, you're normal. Uh, and I share some of what you're feeling. I think the place I want to start is around holidays and expectations. Because I know for me, my experience anyway has been that the only time anyone ever gets upset is when they haven't had their expectations managed. And so managing expectations for myself, managing expectations for my family, like my parents and my siblings, managing expectations, maybe most importantly, for my children. Um, it's such an important thing to minimize the possibility of people being surprised and being upset. And, and sometimes like holiday expectations involve boundaries, right? Like, being clear to the people who are hopeful that you will engage on their terms, what you can and can't engage in based on your terms, right? I think everybody wants to, or not everybody, but I'll just speak for myself. I am a people pleaser. I like to make people happy. And I also like to maintain my sobriety. I like to make people happy. And I also like to be sane. I like uh, to make people happy. And I also like to be happy myself. And there are times when other people's agenda or their expectations of how you'll engage in their holiday, the amount of time that you'll spend, the way that you'll travel, all of those things. Um, sometimes they compromise your ability to stay sane, to stay sober, to to stay happy. Uh, and so the the one thing I want to remind myself for next year, Dave, if you're listening to this, remember this, um, signal well in advance what you can and can't commit to in terms of being present with uh, your extended family, uh, being present with your co-parent, being present with you know any anyone and everyone, so that there are managed expectations. Um, I think the expectation that my children have <laughs> around what is going to happen for Christmas, especially around gift giving, is so stinking important. Because if there's a thing that I am man still working on as a dad, and I don't get it right often enough. It's my desire to have my kids having these like magical memory kind of moments that sometimes are fueled by just a little too much abundance, right? Like I don't want to be a Disneyland dad. And yet there are times when my desire to try and offset some of the experience that my children have had in the aftermath of divorce has had me overindulging. And so when it comes to Christmas, 
I, in particular, like, am just so interested in making sure that when they turn that corner and see those gifts, that they have this experience. And I've had to find ways to do it that aren't as indulgent. And as I find those ways, I also then have to manage their expectations so they don't turn a corner and have disappointment. So this year, I was very clear up front. We were going to have a single quote unquote, bigger gift. And bigger for me was like uh, somewhere in like the $100 range. I mean, it's still a great gift, but not like, no one's getting a car. (laughs) This is an Oprah. You don't get a car. You don't get a car. And you don't get a car. But um, one bigger gift. And then each of the kids, I gave a $25 (laughs) amount of money to buy one of their siblings a present. And so... Everyone walked in knowing, oh, okay, I'm going to have four things to open. One big thing from dad and three things from each of my three siblings. Rad, (laughs) right? And it created some fun for each of the siblings to do some, you know, imagination work on what they thought their sibling would like. It produced a lot of laughs, but also a ton of appreciation for the thoughtfulness of each gift. And at the end of the day, because they walked in knowing this is this is what's going to happen, there wasn't any unmet expectation. There wasn't any uh, upset or unhappy. It was just like it was gravy. It was so good. Uh, and I appreciate it so much. One of the things that I think fueled a little bit of interesting feelings um, you know, beyond that, like, idea of trying to, like, let gifting sometimes make up for some of the um, way that they would experience grief or or the pain of divorce or anything like that. Um, I think one of the things that I maybe made, made a mistake of in the first Christmas after divorce, maybe the second Christmas, was a little bit of a, a worry of how my Christmas might compare to the time that they had with their mom. Right. Like I wanted to make sure that like there was equal appreciation. And so the one thing that I would recommend to anyone who may, in fact, have that same kind of concern, um, this is a conversation you get to have with your co-parent. Right. Rachel and I've had plenty of conversation around. All right. What is the expectation that we're setting for the kids so that in a desire to create more or less a parity experience in one house to the next, Um, because of the way that we're having a dialogue, it creates that chance to have somewhat of a similar experience, Um, even sharing what gifts are being bought so that there isn't duplicate gift buying. Um, It's a simple thing, but is also a thing that saves on the possibility of someone getting a really excited reaction from a gift and then someone getting the reaction of, oh, dad got me that. Oh, mom got me that, right? Simple tips, Uh, that I think can alleviate a little of the worry of, um, you know, anything becoming competitive between one side of the family versus another, and anything that could rob some of the joy of gifting by making sure that um, gifts that are being bought on one side of the family aren't being bought on the other. After holidays and expectations, let's talk about holidays and family, Uh, and in particular, extended family. One of the things I think for me that's been super interesting in these last three years after divorce is we 
traditionally have a week on week off kind of thing with the kids. And then the two weeks before Christmas and the two weeks after Christmas, um, we each get that extended amount of time so that we're able to do some traveling, to spend time with family, to create our own traditions and have our own present opening and, and everything else. And so this year, I didn't have the kids for the two weeks leading into Christmas, which then opened up this window where I was able to spend time golfing with my dad and my two brothers, where I was able to go and see some friends in different states. Um, it was such a such a cool thing. But in particular with the family piece, I just I think I am more appreciative now than maybe I ever have been in my life of the power of um, being super intentional in connection and connecting with with the people in my immediate family, my parents, my siblings, um, and the way that a holiday can create those kinds of opportunities. We have this tradition called pajama brunch. I just can't recommend it enough. Um, it tends to happen, you know, two days before or two days after Christmas in a way that syncs up with uh, any of the families that have divorce as a part of their story. Uh, for us, this year was on the 27th. My sister Heather, God bless her, hosted this wonderful like Super Bowl of holiday gatherings. And uh, for us, it comes with just a whole host of fun Hollis family traditions in that, um, yep, everyone wears pajamas. Yes, there is brunch in that we are eating breakfast uh, for like eight hours, by the way. You know, it's just kind of like a never ending gnawing on food. But each of us has a secret Santa that we ultimately are having one of our children give gift for one of the other cousins. Um, and then we have some fun with whether it's board games or the relay race that happens outside or the football game that happened on the lawn. Um, just stuff that has like the all the markings for what you'd hope for a great Christmas. Um, but one of the one of the best and most favorite things is this ridiculous gift that my brother Tim wraps every single year that takes no less than 45 minutes to open because of the way that you have to roll it to die. If you get doubles, you put on oven mitts and in oven mitts have to try and get through a, a, a like box in a box in a box in a box with so much duct tape. There's a lot of punching. There's a lot of screaming when someone gets doubles. Um, but those things, my goodness, have just been um, some of the most fun uh, experiences that we get to have as a family and most ridiculous. One year, <laughs> this is the worst, but it's worth retelling or telling the story. Um, one year, the final thing that was inside the box was a lottery ticket. And it was my brother-in-law, Rachel's sister's brother, Jake, who got the lottery ticket. It might not even been inside the box, inside the box. It just might've been a, a gift in our gift exchange. And he scratches it off, scratch one, scratch two, scratch three, and three $25,000 numbers line up. And he goes bananas, as you should. Just won $25,000 at pajama brunch. I mean, bring out some more waffles. Jake just won 25 grand. Now, the thing is... <laughs> We are the biggest jokers in the entire universe. And it was one of these gifts in like the, you know, gift exchange thing where you're like, you can steal it or you can keep it or you can pass it. So like it could have gone to anyone. 
And had it gone to one of the people that traditionally plays pranks on people, maybe they would have seen this coming or maybe would have received it better. But God bless Jake. He is just like one of the sweetest people in the entire universe, had no concept whatsoever that it's a fake freaking lottery ticket. And so now my brother, who has put this ridiculous thing into the mix, has to tap him on the shoulder and let him know, wipe away those tears of joy, buddy. You have not won $25,000. It was a joke. I'm like, oh my goodness. He's never going to forget this. And you, sir, Tim, my youngest brother, are never going to live this down. Good times, good times, family and the holiday. The last, the, the only other thing that I think I would throw out with family and the holiday, not that you need to hear it from me because this is common sense. Every single person who experiences time together with family at the holiday already knows this. There's certain things you just can't talk about. And you, like th this is a politics-free opportunity for connection. Like this is not the time to try and convince somebody of your point of view on just about anything, just about anything. Um, there were, there's always, there's always somebody who, um, you know, opens up something and it reminds them of a take that they saw on CNN or Fox News. And they start to like represent that thing. And you're like, nope, nope, nope. I am so sorry. Go ahead and save that for tomorrow. Today at Pajama Brunch, we're not going there. Um, I, I'm sure that that's already a rule that most of you follow. And if you don't, you have, uh, of course, had to pay the uh, consequence of that uncle that can't help himself at Thanksgiving dinner from diving into the debate that nobody wants to have. Uh, but anyway, not, not talking about stupid stuff feels like a pretty good standing rule to make holidays and family a thing that works and works well. All right, let's talk about families and divorce. Shall we? Shall we? I mean, I know that half of marriages or so end in divorce, so a good half of you may have just come through a holiday that had some extra feelings. Uh, I definitely was one of those people, um, but for those of you that aren't divorced, I bet there's some things here that still have some application or will resonate as well. I mean, the first thing, it's kind of like what I talked about at the very top of the show, like divorce is hard, holidays after divorce are harder. So if it has been hard for you this holiday season, I want to honor those feelings. I want to honor the fact that it is normal, that, you know, you're just, you're normal. There's nothing wrong with you for it feeling hard in the middle of the holiday if you are, you know, post-divorce, especially if you're earlier on. What I found for sure is that grief is a non-linear thing. Uh, there isn't like you don't get to a destination where the thing that you've grieved is gone. You just get to this place where it becomes less of uh, like oh, you're less aware of it or it, it it chirps a little less frequently. But on holidays, the things that sometimes you think have long healed can just pop up out of nowhere. Right. It could be like the smell of potpourri. It's such a crazy thing. But like I. <laughs> I was not the tradition person in my marriage. Rachel was the queen of tradition. She was the one that kind of cast vision for and was great at orchestrating. And I was the executor. Like, oh, you need me to hang that? Okay, I'll get a ladder. I got, I got a hammer. I'm tall. I have long arms. I can go ahead and get that wreath as high as you would like it. You want to get the ingredients for uh, that thing you put on the stove and let burn for days on end? Fantastic. I know what the store is. I will gladly do that. Um, 
But like the smell of that stinking potpourri, I'll walk into a house and I'm just like, whoo, you know, time machine transported right back to an experience of being married with a person who made that potpourri and let it burn on the stove starting on December 1st. If you're experiencing something in grief or the revisiting of something that you thought was previously healed, again, grief's nonlinear. It's totally normal. Um, give yourself just a ton of grace. What I, what I think has been interesting for me in the journey in these first three years post-divorce is that the traditions in marriage are not necessarily the traditions in divorce, right? Like I, I mentioned, hey, Rachel was the orchestrator of a whole host of things that we did. And now you find yourself in the aftermath of divorce trying to put pieces together of what was should continue and what of what was no longer continues. Um, God, I will say, I just, I made a terrible emotional judgment mistake at the very beginning of our divorce as we're, you know, like kind of going through and, you know, kind of parsing out who's going to keep what of the things in the garage and the things in storage. And um, I was just so upset about divorce that I had a really hard time at the time seeing anything that reminded me of what was because it was just so heartbreaking. And so I I gave all of the ornaments from our entire marriage, I, all of them to Rachel. And I was like, nope, I, you know what? I'm going to start fresh. I like these memories are too painful. I'm just not going to do it. And that was dumb. <laughs> that was emotional. And it was in the midst of sadness. And I wish that I hadn't made that choice because that first Christmas when I had a bunch of Target store-bought taking nothing away from Target's ornament collection, but that like uh, all these like handmade kids created in first and second and third grade ornaments not being on the tree, it was sad. It was sadder than it would have been to be reminded of some of what was. Um, you know, and of course, as time goes by, man, like there was so much good in our marriage. There were so many great memories, um, but uh, if, if at all, you are listening to this and you find yourself tempted to uh, avoid having some of what might remind you of what was, uh, fight against that temptation. Trust me, uh, that was a mistake. What I do know is that at the very beginning, for me, trying to scramble to create new traditions was overwhelming. I think I was, again, so interested in having the house feel as close to the way that it had felt before, primarily for the kids, that I just put a ton of pressure on myself to have things that felt super meaningful and super engaging and super memory-making in creating that kind of pressure because I was already operating out of a space that was compromised by the grief of divorce. I made the holiday really, really hard for myself. And so I, I want to encourage anyone who finds themselves, you know, trying to replicate what was or um, creating pressure for needing it to be a certain way, um, give yourself some grace. Like, <laughs> I wish that I could go back and shake myself, like, just give yourself some grace, man. You're doing your best. Do as best you can and know that the, the way that your children will experience Christmas is about you being present less than it is 
actually having a certain decor aesthetic. Like the decor is not going to be the driving factor in what your kids remember out of this freaking Christmas. Take a breath, my man. Um, I, I mean, guess what? It, it, your house is going to look different. Your house is going to feel different. Heck, my house definitely smells different because I don't have the ingredients, nor do I know how to create the potpourri thing that gets lit at Rachel's house on December 1st. I'm not even sure that I want that smell because of the way that it actually brings up some of the stuff that I'm still processing in grief. And yet, just because it's different, I've had to try and get myself to a place of appreciating that different doesn't mean it's worse. It doesn't mean that it's bad. Different just means that it's now mine. And so, I mean, shoot, the first holiday, <laughs> we decided to have Christmas together because here we were just six months into this conversation around divorce, and we wanted to make uh, that first holiday feel as normal as we might be able to for our children. And I think it was a good idea, and I also don't know that it was a good idea because it was super, super hard. It was very, very difficult to be all together in a place where we'd previously been for the holiday to almost be reminded of what now wouldn't exist any longer. Um, so that felt pretty hard. The second Christmas then, the first one where I was doing it on my own, um, it felt really hard. Um, it felt really hard. It was in some ways a disaster, to be honest, because I created like really high expectations of me being able to pull off something that was going to be great. And the pressure combined with some of the still existing grief, man, it just made for a, a real uphill, uphill battle. But in this third year, you know, it really has gotten better. There is like a completely different vibe, the like way that I was able to decorate the house and absolutely create some new traditions in some stuff with hot chocolate and, and building some, uh, you know, houses out of, uh, uh, what is it, graham crackers, uh, gingerbread. Um, you know, like we, we found a way to create things this year that felt like ours, like, you know, dad's house traditions. Um, they weren't extravagant, but man, um, it just got better. And so I want to encourage anyone who's in the earlier stages of divorce, if you just come out of your first holiday and it felt heavy, absolutely appreciate it. Of course it did. And also it will get easier over time. It will never be easy necessarily, but it will get easier over time. Absolutely 100% it will. All right. And the last thing I want to talk about as it relates to the holidays is holidays as a trigger. <laughs> the holidays are triggering for uh, many people. They're certainly triggering for me. The, there's something about the weight that we put on these days being super special. There's something about the proximity that we have to family. There's something about the length of time that kids are out of school and involved in, you know, having to go to this friend's house or that. All, like all of it at a certain point can create a trigger for you making a decision about reaching for a good coping mechanism or a bad coping mechanism, right? When I had a very hard holiday last year, uh, I was triggered. And it was during a time where I was in a super dark place and drinking was absolutely an outlet 
that I reached for to mute some of what I was feeling around this holiday. And that's not a good plan because if you're already in a dark place, trust that uh, drinking is not going to be the thing that actually makes you feel light. Uh, And so as I come into this holiday or frankly, any holiday, the thing that I know is that I need a plan ahead of time. I need a plan ahead of time for what I'm going to do, not if I get triggered, but when I get triggered, because I already know I'm going to get triggered because the holidays are triggering. And so for me, it's been an exercise in both getting really intentional with planning the days. All right, what are we going to do? on this day and this day and this day. And I'll go through and do some day part planning. Okay, in the morning, we're going to do this. In the afternoon, we're going to do this. In the evening, we're going to do this. So that there is, some again, some managed expectation around what's happening in the day so that there aren't surprises because surprises tend to be where the triggers live. But then beyond that, if you know that you've got a particular trigger, right? I got a particular or a particular negative coping mechanism that uh, you don't want to indulge in during a super triggering season, then your plan needs to include resources specific to that trigger, right? For me, I got a sponsor. Okay, I got to have a conversation with a sponsor ahead of time that says, yo, these are the days where I might be most triggered. So I'm going to need you on standby so we can have a conversation when the ish hits, hits the fan, right? Um, but whatever, you, whatever your thing ends up being, you might need an accountability partner inside of a fitness community. You might need someone to um, just vent to uh, instead of yelling at your kids. You might, whatever, but whatever it is, um, having a trigger specific resource ready ahead of time is a way that you inoculate yourself in some ways from the possibility of making the bad choice when you are forced to make a choice. So there you go. Uh, I hope that that is helpful. I'm speaking it out loud, like I said, as much for me as anyone. Um, More than anything, I just wanted to, for anyone who's just coming out of that tough holiday, make you feel normal, make you feel seen, honor those feelings, acknowledge that uh, it's going to get better. Because uh, I really do believe it's going to get better and hope that if there's any kind of funk that is lingering on this, the 12th day of January, that you are able to shake it off and uh, and roll into this new year uh, with some hope and some confidence for all the good that is to come. Uh, I am just a couple of days away from yet another of the get fit challenges that I've been doing with Heidi. We've done four of these in the past and the fifth of them starts on Monday. So if you are interested in joining an amazing community that might help you get out of and shake some of the funk that came from the holiday, uh, it is just one of the coolest communities that I have ever been in. Uh, I go live in the community every Monday. Heidi goes live every Wednesday. We've got some amazing, amazing people that come in in a chef that helps with meal prep and a kickboxing guru that teaches you how to kickbox. There's a yoga breathwork person who's amazing. There's some Zumba dance instructors that are so fun. Um, there's just, there, there's a nutrition coach. There's a whole host of, of, you know, amazing resources, but truly, 
from my perspective, the very, very best part, the very best part is the community of people that are there to welcome you as you are. Hello, come on in. You are welcome here. Who are there to encourage you on the days that you are having a hard day. Oh, you fell down. That is okay. Falling down is a thing all of us do. Go ahead and hop on back up. And are there to keep you accountable if you are interested in pushing yourself to grow. And so if you're looking for community and friendship, if you're looking to be inspired by amazing people inside of a holistic fitness community, uh, again, go to mrdavehollis.com forward slash get fit. It all starts on Monday. The, the pre-week is happening in real time and it is a party. It is a nonstop stinking party. And uh, I would love to see you there. I would absolutely love to see you there. Uh, MrDaveHollis.com forward slash get fit. Check her out. I hope that you have uh, enjoyed this episode. I appreciate you all so stinking much. So stinking much. I was looking uh, just at the end of the year. Unbelievably, this show was downloaded 8.2 million times in 2022. That seems like a lot of times. And so trust me, I know that uh, I, um, one, am freaking lucky. <laughs> I'm so fortunate to have um, an opportunity to even do this work. The fact that you are listening is just, it's such a satisfying thing. And it makes me feel so hopeful for what it might mean for bringing additional guests and having additional conversations. So thank you, every single one of you. I'm just, I'm blown away and so grateful for your support. I hope between now and next week's episode that you have yourself a fantastic week. And if uh, you're one of the people that's jumping into the challenge, I can't wait to see you there. Uh, we start on Monday. I'll see you then. Have yourself a great week. Have yourself a great Thursday. We'll see you in the next episode of the Rise Together podcast. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. I appreciate you all being here so, so much. Before you go, I just want to make mention of one thing that I am so excited about. My daughter, Noah, and I have put together a delightful, an amazing, a wonderful children's picture book. It's based on the fun video series that we've done online called Tea Time with Noah, and it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It, uh, it comes out on November 8th. And it's a book that hopefully encourages children to be brave, to believe in themselves, to dream big. Uh, in this, our first adventure, Noah has this big dream of becoming a sea captain. She realizes in pursuing this dream that it's not all smooth sailing. She doesn't know how to captain, doesn't have a ship, doesn't know how to build one. And that process of having to learn and try and fail and get back up teaches her that she has so much of what she's always needed already inside of her, and that every time it didn't go her way, it equipped her with some skills that allowed her to be even stronger and more resilient and believe more in herself on the other side. Again, it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It comes out on November 8th, and you can get it anywhere books are sold. For more info, head to the link in the show notes or to here's to your dreams.com.